A Blizzard of Backlash, Part 6. Enter the Government. Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And while I am sure there are other things happening in the world of pop culture, technology, software, entertainment, video games, and the like, the main story of the day continues to be Blizzard. As a matter of fact, while I was looking at Blizzard and Activision Blizzard news over the course of the day, reading my social media and my Twitter, reflecting on some quotes that I had given to Game Daily Biz yesterday for a wonderful article they did talking about the concept of the freedom of speech as associated with this thing, right? Activision Blizzard. If you're on part six of a Blizzard of Backlash, you know already that the First Amendment and the concept of freedom of speech isn't actually implicated in what we're talking about here. And that was the question posed to me. The quote I have here from this article, the free speech discussion around Blizzard has been raised repeatedly over the last week, but did Blizzard actually violate the law? Not so, according to Richard Hogue, attorney at Hogue Law. There is not really a First Amendment claim implicated here, he told Game Daily, reminding us that the First Amendment applies solely to the government while private actors are given wide latitude to do what they like. Right? We've talked about that in the videos of this series and in other videos in virtual legality. The First Amendment says Congress shall make no law. And to the extent that others try to apply it to private actors, the real conversation is a philosophical one. Do we care about allowing freedom of speech? Do we, as United States citizens, as citizens of other democracies, of other countries that claim to care about this thing, do we want to have our corporations, our companies that provide our goods and services at least reflect that value of society? I think the answer to that is yes, but the fundamental rule of law on this is solely that Congress shall make no law. So certainly Congress would have nothing to do with this Blizzard Activision issue at all. Uh-oh. Wait, here's an IGN article from about 40 minutes ago that says U.S. Congress members send letter to Blizzard over concern for recent actions. Yep, that's right. The U.S. government, or at least portions thereof in the form of a couple of uh, senators and a couple of representatives in the House, all U.S. Congress people. We have here identified United States Senator Ron Wyden, who's a Democrat from Oregon, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, who's a Republican from Florida, Representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democrat from New York, Mike Gallagher, a Republican from Wisconsin, and Tom Malinowski, a Democrat from New Jersey, have signed a joint letter addressed to Robert, Bobby, Kotick, specifically regarding Blizzard's recent actions towards Chung. And yes, they definitely, definitely did. So we're going to pop in. We're going to take a look at the text of that letter you know, if you're in virtual legality, we've got to check out the primary source material. We got to break down the messaging here. And unfortunately, if you're watching this video, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I feel very passionately about what Activision Blizzard has done here. I feel very passionately about how the actions they have taken could have been framed better, could have been something that they could have actually lived with. And as a corporate lawyer, I look at the corporate activities and say, you screwed this up six ways from Sunday. And my passion comes a lot from looking at their statements, looking at how they've acted, looking at how they've made this a two-week, maybe now three-week or four-week-long story, have gotten so far that the Congress of the United States is sending them letters. I'm very passionate about those things, but that doesn't mean that Congress and the United States government 
or another arbiter of justice or a court or someone else should be able to go and tell Activision Blizzard how they should run their company. And unfortunately, that's what this letter strongly implies. And we're going to talk about implications. That's certainly something that's being discussed a lot in the American political scene today. We have an entire impeachment inquiry happening premised on a lot of uh, implications, a lot of understood quid pro quos, a lot of these kind of leaps to judgment. And if you are willing to make those leaps, if you are willing to say when the government asks you something, it is understood that that's at the end of a gun, at the end of the money that they could otherwise pay you, at the end of the regulatory body that they could use against you, then if you are familiar with those arguments regarding the president or foreign policy or anything else, there is no other way to read this letter than as an implied threat that, hey, you've got a nice business going there, Activision Blizzard. It would be a shame if something were to happen to it. And that's actually what happens in this letter. So let's take a look. As they said, it's it's dated today. It's addressed to Bobby Kotick in California. It says, Dear Mr. Kotick, we write to express our deep concern about Activision Blizzard's decision to play to make player Ing Wai Chung forfeit prize money and ban him from participating in tournaments for a year after he voiced support for pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. This decision is particularly concerning in light of the Chinese government's growing appetite for pressuring American businesses to help stifle free speech. So, a couple things here. First of all, we know already that Blizzard has walked back its forfeiture of the prize money. And that's not a big deal here early on in the letter, but it is interesting, right? This is dated today. This is dated after that news came out. And it's pretty easy to reframe this letter, even if you want to talk about what their initial statement was and how that was wrong, how their initial penalty of taking that money back was wrong. That's certainly one of the main things that got under my skin as a corporate lawyer and as someone who I I hope values fairness, that he has performed those services for Blizzard, that he has been on those streams, that he has made them money, and that they were going to take that money back for what amounts to a fairly innocuous single-sentence statement on one of their broadcasts. They've walked that back. But the Congress folks here bring that back up, say forfeit prize money, and they don't actually talk about the fact that Blizzard has walked that back. So this has probably been a letter and a drafting and language that has been in the works for at least a couple of days. If you're familiar with how this works at all, you've got a number of staffers, you've got a number of people that are working on these various things that are being looked at by the actual representatives, the actual senators, and then they are essentially passed around through the various offices, and then you get everybody to sign. Uh, Once all of the language is acceptable to basically everybody that you want to have sign the document. And then they combine it by saying this decision is particularly concerning in light of China's growing appetite for pressuring American businesses to help stifle free speech. So the overall thesis sentence, the concept, the messaging here at the top of this letter is we don't like it when governments stifle free speech. Put a pin in that. Hold on to that. Remember that, because when we take a look at what the overall context of this entire letter is, It becomes an open question as to whether this letter isn't designed to do that very same thing, to stifle free speech in a different direction, arguably to stifle free speech in favor of free speech. And you can get a philosopher in here to kind of break that down, metacontextualize it for you. It certainly would help me if you want to put that in a comment to the the video here. But otherwise, I think that's the primary problem here is you've got government actors now with the full force and power of the United States government implied when you make a letter under the letterhead of the Congress of the United States, 
Again, in a context where the First Amendment doesn't actually allow them to directly do anything here, essentially expressing that they're unhappy and that Activision Blizzard needs to do something else. Now the second paragraph. Activision Blizzard benefits from China's growing market for esports, along with an investment from Tencent, one of China's largest technology firms, and backed by the Chinese government. As you and your company are no doubt aware, the Chinese government uses the size and strength of its economy to suppress opinions with which it disagrees. Last week alone, the Chinese government targeted Apple for hosting an app to help peaceful demonstrators evade repression and the National Basketball Association because one team's general manager tweeted in support of Hong Kong protests. Now, we haven't talked about the Apple issue, although it was uh, happening simultaneously. That, I believe, had an Apple app that did, as they say, help you target where Chinese police were if you were in Hong Kong and you were demonstrating and to help avoid them, and Apple pulled it down. Now, I believe that isn't the only time that Apple has pulled down an app designed to help you evade police action. And I think that's happened in the United States as well. That being said, it was obviously a bad look for them. It was obviously a bad time to do it. The National Basketball Association stuff, absolutely right. Tencent, the Chinese government, came after the NBA for one tweet. They came after the NBA for one tweet while the NBA was holding exhibition games in China. So it was a particularly sensitive time there. But the NBA handled it wrongly on the offing as well. But we don't see a letter to the NBA here. And that might be argued because the NBA's second stance, after they took the first stance that said, hey, be quiet, everybody, was to say, we can't repress folks. We're going to allow everybody to talk how they want to talk. And then, however, the NBA limited media availability for the rest of the Chinese trip. And here we are. So I'm not sure the NBA is the greatest exemplar of handling this correctly, but they're not getting a letter from Congress now. So if that's the only threshold for success that you have, it was arguably met by the National Basketball Association. Still, you can see here the bugaboos that are fairly common when you're talking about foreign influence over the United States economy, over the United States political system, which is a different conversation, uh, and for various kind of fear of China and its influence. You've seen these kinds of echoes in previous historical eras when we're talking about other countries and whether or not they can influence the United States. Overall, this doesn't actually say anything about free speech. This says, hey, you know, Tencent owns, I think it's 5% of Activision Blizzard, and Tencent is backed by the Chinese government, and isn't that a bad thing? Look what they've done to the NBA and what they've done to Apple. Continuing with the third paragraph, They say your company claims, so that language suggests that they don't believe that the company actually stands for, your company claims to stand by one's right to express individual thoughts and opinions. Yet, many of your own employees believe that Activision Blizzard's decision to punish Mr. Chung runs counter to those values. Okay. Now, that's not terribly decisive evidence. We've talked about it in this series, how Blizzard employees had covered up certain of the values on the statuary and the plaques in Blizzard HQ. I believe it was Think Globally and Every Voice Matters were covered up. So there were definitely people at Blizzard that were upset. But the fact that certain employees of yours are upset doesn't actually mean that your action isn't correct, right? We think we're watching virtual legality or, you know, making virtual legality, depending on who you are. And we're doing this because we think Activision Blizzard has screwed up in a myriad of different ways here. However, I think we have to accept the concept that one could look at this from a different perspective and say, hey, Rick, you're wrong. Hey, Activision Blizzard, you're right to have those conversations. And when you're the United States government and you say, hey, some of your employees think it disagrees with your values, 
I would imagine some of your employees think it is fine with your values and that this is a way you have to run a business. So I'm not sure that's definitive evidence either. Of course, I'm coming from a perspective where broadly I'm on the side of the folks that are drafting and signing this letter. So keep that in mind as well. I'm doing this critique from a legal perspective, from the perspective of a business lawyer in particular. And so it's surprising to me. I look at this and I say, okay, I'm basically on your side, Congress people. However, I don't think you're actually presenting a very strong case. And when we get to the end of this letter, it starts to make me nervous about what you're actually implying. Continuing with the third paragraph, because your company is such a pillar of the gaming industry, a little gilding the lily there, a little, a little smoke, your disappointing decision could have a chilling effect on gamers who seek to use their platform to promote human rights and basic freedoms. Okay, that's fine. As long as we are all in total agreement as to what promotion of human rights looks like and what the promotion of basic freedoms looks like. As long as we're all in agreement, that's fine. And does it really have a chilling effect if you're not in the Hearthstone tournament? Does it really have a chilling effect if you're not being broadcast officially by Blizzard? We have talked about the rules in virtual legality and how they are way too broadly written. If I were a congressperson and I were so inclined to communicate with Activision Blizzard on this score, I would say, okay, fine. We understand that a business can run how it wants and that maybe you don't want any politics at all in your official broadcasts. Then you need to make your rules more specific to that. And you need to walk back the rule that says any act can wind up resulting in us withdrawing your, your prize money because it has to be an act related to that official broadcast. You can't extend this to everything else everywhere. And to Blizzard's credit at this point in time, they haven't used the rule for that. But as I've said earlier in virtual legality, we are not in the trust me business in law. And you shouldn't be in the trust me business with corporate contracts because a corporate contract that is written over broadly, even if the corporation says, hey, we would never enforce it that way, is nothing but a landmine against you. And that is a chilling effect. If there's a chilling effect that lives in Blizzard's rules, it's not the fact that they've done this just now on an official broadcast. To some extent, that's understandable. The chilling effect is the fact that they have a rule that says they can do whatever they want at their discretion against any act anywhere that offends any portion of the public. That's a contract that's unacceptable. That's a contract that has a chilling effect. That's a rule that prevents people from knowing exactly what they can say and what they can't say without running afoul of the mighty Activision Blizzard. Let's talk about that and not the specific implications of using that rule in this specific context, because that's something that can be addressed. The final sentence of this third paragraph, indeed, many gamers around the world have taken notice of your company's actions, understandably calling for boycotts of Activision Blizzard gaming sites. So I look at this and say, all right, Congress folks, um, if the people are already commenting on this, if there are already viewers and listeners of virtual legality, if there's me talking about how silly this rule is, how silly this action is, how silly Activision Blizzard is being in its entirety, what purpose does a letter, not a resolution, not a meeting, not a law certainly, because that nasty First Amendment is out there making it difficult for you, if it's not any of those things and the folks are already talking about it out in the marketplace, out on the internet, what possible purpose does this serve? And then we get to the fourth paragraph. As China amplifies its campaign of intimidation, 
you and your company must decide whether to look beyond the bottom line and promote American values like the freedom of speech and thought or to give in to Beijing's demands in order to preserve market access. So let's take that sentence. I've got a lot to say about this one. As China amplifies its campaign of intimidation, okay, totalitarian regime, we've talked about it. We can grant this kind of preamble to the, to the thought here. You and your company must decide whether to look beyond the bottom line and promote American values. I'm going to say something right now that to some of you is going to sound a bit controversial. But the board of directors of a company, the chief officers of an American company, a corporation or a limited liability company, do not have the authority as the fiduciaries of the assets that are given to them by the stockholders of these companies to do things that look beyond the bottom line. This is not a new concept in American corporate law. In fact, it's one of the oldest concepts in American corporate law that that's other people's money that has been given to these officers, that has been given to this board, and that other people's money has been given to them with the primacy, the primary objective of making that money grow. And so the object of Activision Blizzard is not as a charity for democracy, is not as a company that is solely required to promote American values or to look beyond the bottom line to do so. It is, in fact, the bottom line that is the reason for the existence of Activision Blizzard. And if we separate that from how the corporation operates, and I'm not just talking about Activision Blizzard here, then we separate major components of the American economy. That if you put money into a company and that company's board, or worse yet, Bobby Kotick, the CEO, can just decide that there is something whether it's a political stance or a charitable one or something else that they would like to do more of with your money rather than help grow their business and its long-term prospects. And if that's going to be permitted and allowed under corporate law, we are going to have major investment problems. We're going to have major economics problems, and we're going to have major problems with the way society is organized. So this here is an unfair statement at the end of this letter. And I don't use the word fair very often in virtual legality because it's not a concept that has a lot of meaning in legal thought. But here you actually have a corporation in Activision Blizzard organized under the laws of the state of Delaware, organized under those laws with fiduciary obligations held by the board of directors and the officers and a fiduciary obligation called the duty of care. And that care is to manage the assets that have been given to them to their best ability to make money for the shareholders that have given them those assets. And if they don't do that, they're in real trouble. As a matter of fact, one of the cases that you read about to really talk about this issue in American corporate law is very early on, if you go to law school, if you're learning to become a lawyer, Dodge versus Ford Motor Co. sets this out entirely. This is an old, old case. This is 100 years old uh, this year. And Wikipedia here I've pulled up has an all right summary of it. I will say it's significantly more nuanced than this. We're, all, we're also going to take a look at the actual language. But the summary is acceptable for this conversation. It says, Dodge versus Ford is a case in which the Michigan Supreme Court held that Henry Ford had to operate the Ford Motor Company in the interests of its shareholders rather than in a charitable manner for the benefit of his employees or customers. 
it is often cited as affirming the principle of shareholder primacy in corporate America. At the same time, the case affirmed the business judgment rule, leaving Ford an extremely wide latitude about how to run the company. In short, and I'm going to summarize this even further than Wikipedia does, Henry Ford wanted to use the money that was given to him and that he had earned operating the business to do things that didn't maximize the profitability of the company. In this particular case, he wanted to employ more people than were necessary. He wanted to lower the, the price of his cars more than was necessary because he couldn't even fulfill the orders that he, the, he was getting in at the time. And he wanted to do that out of a sense of charity out of a sense that the Industrial Revolution should employ more people, it should get more cars into the hands of more folks more cheaply, and the shareholders who had given them his this money in order to pursue a business end said, no, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to benefit person X, person Y, person Z who hasn't given you this money. You are the fiduciary of my assets, and you're not allowed to just decide that you can do something else with them at your whim. And I know you read this case, you look at this case, you think about this case, and you say, well, Henry Ford wanted to better society. But the problem with that is, is that it, it limits people's focus at the board of directors level. We have a problem in corporate law that I think everybody understands who deals with this all the time. And that's already a problem of agency. The shareholders elect the board. The board is supposed to act on the benefit of the shareholders. The board elects the officers. The officers are supposed to act for the benefit of the board, which is supposed to act for the benefit of the shareholders. And there are a number of problems in this game of telephone with making sure that the shareholders are benefited at the end of the day anyway. So if you just go in there and you allow an officer and his own city idiosyncratic desires or ends or whatever it might be to take this money from the public, to take this money from the stock market and say, we're going to do X with it tomorrow. That's going to be an issue for collecting that money for the next company. And it's going to be an issue right now under Dodge versus Ford and the other kind of rules under Delaware corporate law that require a fiduciary duty of the board. In fact, the language here that I've pulled up from the actual case, I will link this in the description of the video, but I thought it was pretty illuminating for what we're talking about here is as we have pointed out, this is the court speaking in this case now, and the proposition does not require argument to sustain it. It is not within the lawful powers of a board of directors to shape and conduct the affairs of a corporation for the merely incidental benefit of shareholders and for the primary purpose of benefiting others. And no one will contend that if the avowed purpose of the defendant directors was to sacrifice the interests of shareholders, it would not be the duty of the courts to interfere. In other words, if we were looking at this in reverse, if you were coming here to claim that the officers and the board had stolen our money that we had given them for this purpose, and that the Ford Motor Company was no longer making cars, but was instead spending all this money on vacations and vacation homes and doing other things that they thought was more important to themselves, or even gifting vacation homes to everybody in Washtenaw County, Michigan, because they thought people in Washtenaw County, Michigan deserve vacation homes. There is nobody on earth that would say the court shouldn't say that is stealing the assets of the corporation. So in such very same way, in this particular case, they say, if you are going to tell us the plan is that you don't care about the shareholders, you care about this other group, then we're going to have an issue with you and we're going to treat it like it's stealing the assets of the corporation. Now, the irony here is, as you saw in the Wikipedia summary we just discussed, this also went to establishing the business judgment rule, which is the corporate law construct that says the court is not going to try to figure out whether you're right or you're wrong on these things because the court is good at some things. It certainly isn't good at predicting the future, and it certainly isn't good at predicting the future of a business that it doesn't understand. 
The court isn't the CEO or the COO or the board of directors or anyone that has been in the weeds at a corporation for 5, 10, or 15 years. So it says, board of directors, if you can show to us that you investigated, you considered, you talked to people that might know about this, you projected out, and what you are planning to do has long-term benefits for the shareholders of the corporation, then we are going to let it go. Even if it looks like in the short term, or even if it looks like you committed an error and you've cost the company all this money, that's going to be okay. You're a human being and you're allowed to make mistakes. But what you can't do is what Henry Ford did, and you can't come up to us and say, I don't care about the shareholders at all. And so you can't look beyond the bottom line to promote American values. The goal of Bobby Kotick, his role as fiduciary of the assets that are committed to his charge, is not to promote American values. Now, that sounds harsh. And you say, Rick, I've listened to this series in virtual legality now for more than a week. What are you talking about? You say that we should act against Activision Blizzard. Yes, I think that if you are interested in pursuing the freedom of speech, if you are interested in saying, Activision Blizzard, you should allow more of this. You should not be so draconian. You should fix your rules. You should be better. You should be a company that I can feel good about supporting. Then by all means, make that statement. Make it publicly. Make it loud. Make it often. Make it at BlizzCon. And you know what that does? That affects the bottom line. Get that bottom line to move because that's all they're allowed to look at. And so if American values, whatever that might mean to you, like freedom of speech and thought are important to you, make that apparent in the bottom line. But don't ask them to skip that discussion because if they were to listen to this last paragraph in this congressional letter, they would be violating Delaware law and probably some other jurisdictions laws because they would be taking money that was given to them for one purpose and using it for another purpose. Because when you look beyond the bottom line, what you are saying is, I don't care whether this makes money, this is right. And that's not what fiduciaries are entitled to do with other people's assets. Finishing up with this letter, they then say, we urge you in the strongest terms to reconsider your decision with respect to Mr. Chung. You have the opportunity to reverse course. We urge you to take it. Now, this final language reminds me very much of what we call a demand letter in the legal profession. Very often, we end one of these letters that says, essentially, you have been warned, uh, adjust your actions accordingly, or something along those lines. And these last few sentences are exactly that. Look, we've laid out our uh, supposition here. Do what you will with it, but we suggest in the strongest terms, and by the way, we're in charge of taxation. We're in charge of regulation. We're looking at a loot box issue that might interest you at some point in the future. You should think about all that stuff when you consider your actions here. The strongest terms. You have the opportunity to reverse course. We urge you to take it. This is very similar to that kind of mobster movie type conversation that you see here. That you say, hey, we might not have the authority to do anything directly here. That pesky First Amendment says we shall make no law talking about what you say or what you don't say. But it would be a shame if something were to happen to your company. The strongest terms, we urge you to take it. And that's the U.S. government right now. And to be honest, while I am sympathetic to their position here, as you well know if you've listened to parts one through five of this series, this is the wrong way to make this demand. This is not a demand that Bobby Kotick can meet in any event. He's not permitted to look beyond the bottom line. What demand he can meet 
is if Congress, if anybody else, individual citizens of the United States and elsewhere make it clear that this isn't a blizzard that they want to support, a blizzard that makes these bans, a blizzard that takes these actions, a blizzard that has a statement that doesn't appear to be talking to anybody except maybe China, that that is not a blizzard that we want to support, and that's a blizzard whose bottom line can be affected by that lack of support. U.S. Congress, in other words, I appreciate the thought, but it's a pretty wrong-headed thought for your particular role in U.S. government. It's a particularly wrong-headed thought when you consider it in the context of corporate law and the state law that governs how Bobby Kotick has to behave. And I would suggest, if you care about this issue, that you make sure that that care is known and that people in the marketplace get to affecting the bottom line rather than having Activision Blizzard propose or support American values, whatever that might mean at the end of the day. This has been Virtual Legality. Thank you so much for watching. We've obviously covered Blizzard a lot in a Blizzard of Backlash series. This is part six in only a little bit more than a week, I think. So if you like this stuff, please check out the whole series. We also talk about other things in information technology, software, games, and pop culture. And so if you like this, share it around. Tell people that we're here. We like talking about these things, and we'd love to hear your comments in the description or underneath our video. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it on its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.